The gospel lesson for this morning comes from the 17th chapter in Matthew reading from verses 1 through 9. Listen now to a word from the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And if you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while Peter was still talking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, my beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today in worship, two members of our basic youth group, Romy and Huli Gross, will come and they will participate in the sermon. So I'd invite them forward now to come and sit behind the table. Romy and Huli are wonders, and they are helping preach today by taking these square sheets of red origami paper, and they will fold them into birds, a simple red sheet of paper taking on a different form, the form of a bird, transformed. As a response to the sermon, the opportunity will be for all to participate, including the choir. Instructions are printed in the bulletin for you to do the same with the red paper found in your bulletin. For some, this practice will be easier than others. And please, Frank Kelly says this to our youth all the time, trust the process. Perfection has no place here, simply presence and effort. Ultimately, these, this practice in these birds, we fold together, they will lead to a Pentecost art installation in the Jones Building stairwell on the last Sunday in May. So I don't know about you, but at our house on Galloway, the manger and the figurines, including the Magi from Advent, and our electric Moravian star that hangs in the window of the third floor for Epiphany, they are wrapped up and they're stored away until next year. And every year about this time, there's the interruption of winter 
with that first hint of spring, and it always, it always takes my breath away. There's the forsythia in the yard along McLean, dormant and then brilliant. There are those daffodils with that waxy pale bud, mysteriously bright and open in our backyard. And that bright yellow outshines winter's gray doldrums. And what I do is I cut this floral brightness and I put them everywhere in a vase, on my desk, in the middle of the kitchen table, pretty much anywhere and everywhere. This change in nature occurs and it leaves wonder in its wake. And I wanna hold on to it. I wanna capture that beauty in time. I even dry them and with the first fire we have in spring, I place those dry ashes into the fire, grateful for that beauty and how it taught me about time moving forward. Appearing in each of the synoptic gospels, Transfiguration Sunday is the last Sunday before Ash Wednesday. In the text, Jesus invites and leads three of his disciples to follow him up a mountain. And while there, a miracle-like wonder takes place. Jesus changes. His face shines like the sun and his clothes sparkle as if he were covered in glitter. And then the saints appear. Elijah and Moses, they magically appear, both of whom have had prior mountaintop experiences with God. And at this moment, there exists for the disciples a miraculous bridge between heaven and earth, between reality and mystery, between human and divine. Tim Keller says that we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant for them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, to have hunger, to have suffering, to have death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and to heal the world where it is broken. And Jesus' miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but they are also wonderful foretaste of what Jesus is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but they are a promise to our hearts that the world we all want the world we long for can come and that it is coming. Peter, James, and John knew the challenge on the mountain, but they also knew the promise. And Peter, bless his heart, he tries to capture it, to strategize about how to hold on to this miraculous bridge-like moment. 
Hey, Jesus, Peter says, let's build something right here. Let's make the perfect place for you right here so we can hold on to you. And this is Peter trying to capture, to control the presence of God. And what we know is we cannot control God. And in that moment, God interrupts. In the presence of a miracle, Peter almost misses what is right before him. Working hard to convince Jesus about what to do in this particular situation, he misses the cloud descending. It's like me with this new iPhone I got. It has the three cameras on the back. And I love to take pictures all the time. I just like to get up close and it has this portrait mode and I can really capture a great picture of you. But sometimes I really need to put the phone down. I heard an amen. (laughs) I need to be in the presence of what is right before me. No selfie replaces the beauty of an actual moment of presence and of connection with another. And in the text, God interrupts and speaks. This is my beloved. Listen to him. And Peter, James, and John, the rock, the supplanter, and God's gracious giver, what do they do? They fall down on their faces and they become terrified. They become afraid. And maybe that's what happens to us. In the face of something so powerful, whether it is good or bad, we fall down afraid, not knowing what to do. As the cloud overshadows, Peter, James, and John seem to forget the history of God's action in their lives and the lives of their people. Moses on another mountaintop was reminded by God I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you here, and you shall have no other gods before me. Elijah, fleeing for his life, having sat under a bottle bush and just cried and pouted, finds himself on a mountaintop, and in the sound of sheer silence, he hears God ask, What are you doing here? On this Transfiguration Sunday, where things change before our very eyes, I wonder where Jesus is leading us and calling us to follow. This week, an elder and a deacon went to Montreat to work with a small group of Presbyterians to do the work of stewardship, to learn and to be grown. In Tennessee, while we were away in North Carolina, an execution happened at Riverbend Prison. And Idlewild congregants traveled to bear witness to Christ's life in that presence, with their presence. And at the Memphis airport, a group of six women from our congregation, they boarded a plane to make their way to the desert to help our church, to help Idlewild discern our response to immigration. Every day, Jesus puts an opportunity for God's interruption and transformation 
right in front of us. And on this Transfiguration Sunday, where things changed before our very eyes, I wonder, where are we like Peter, James, and John? Where are we overcome by fear? Ruth Everhart says that evil resides in the actions and inactions of people who fear the wrong thing, who fear exposing evil when they should fear complicity with evil, with people who fear damage to their reputation when they should fear damage to the vulnerable with people who fear the demands of pursuing justice when they should fear the consequences of not doing so. As believers in Jesus Christ and turning ourselves toward Jerusalem, I wonder how we might remember Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John. How are we willing to be present and aware of God's interruption. How are we willing to hear Christ say to us, get up, do not be afraid. At Montreat this week, I heard an interim describe a conversation that he took to his session. He described very early in his interim work with this congregation, he decided to visit what was like our Tresvent Manor to grow the relationships and understand from some of the folks that were living in that place about how it was with their lives. And he sat down with one woman for whom he'd been kind of warned about before he went. Uh, she had been described as a stickler for detail. And he said, I sat down and I just began to listen with her. And he's, he described it this way, that she had a very particular voice. And as he engaged in conversation, she said, you know, we can't get to church these days. And you know why we can't get to church? Because there's no bus. But we've been asking for a bus for years. And we can't get to church because there's no bus for us, no gas, no insurance, no bus for us. And he said, I'll get you that bus. The associate that was with him on that visit said, you don't know what you just did. <laughs> You're not going to get that bus. We've been having discussion for years about that bus, and it's not going to be possible to get that bus. Well, the session was meeting, and at the next session meeting, he went to uh, the session, and he said, I have a confession to make. I promised a bus, and so we're going to have to talk about it. And so the session began to talk, and all those things that had been predicted, no insurance, gas is expensive, who's going to drive the bus, how are we going to get volunteers to help people with the bus, are they even going to ride the bus if we get a bus? And this conversation was going on in the session, and it was just continuing over and over again, saying the same thing over and over again. And then all of a sudden, from a corner of the session table, he heard a voice. I've got the bus. And the interim said, excuse me? Did you say, I've got the bus? And he said again, yes, I've got the bus. 
Sure enough, the next day, the elder was at the church at 8 a.m., and he was describing a workable plan. He said, I think I can, we can lease a couple buses, and I'm willing to front the money to help us do that so we can help people get to church. And that first Sunday when the buses drove up, on a whim, the choir director in, instructed the choir to go to the buses and form a line and welcome in these members who had not been able to get into church by singing them home into the sanctuary. God interrupts and speaks. This is my beloved. Listen to him. And Jesus says, get up and don't be afraid. We as a congregation have so many opportunities before us to be part of Christ's transfiguration, to get up and to not be afraid. Won't it be great? To God be all the glory now and forever. Amen. And now, remembering that our task is not perfection, but our task is to trust in our presence, I invite you to look at the instructions in your bulletin and to take your piece of paper. At the end, whatever it is that you form, you can leave on a table outside the sanctuary.